Hello, everybody. It is Monday, and I think today is the 93rd episode of uh, 62 Who Knew. We're rapidly approaching our two-year anniversary, and we're going to be planning something very special for that. Um, I have no idea what that is, but it does give me nine weeks to figure it out, so we're okay. Um, Anyway, welcome today. We have two of our favorite panelists on and a brand new guest, which I'm going to introduce to you in about three or four minutes. Uh, I want to thank last week's guests, of course. Every week, our viewership continues to go up. Last week, we had a little more than 74,000 viewers. Thank you all so much. As you know, also, we are now being, since the 1st of January, uh, simulcast. Uh, on several different platforms as a podcast in addition to this television show. And those likes and those shares and those uh, downloads uh, are going up every week. So thank you all to our audience and to our great guests for continuing to allow us to grow. So this is going to be a great show. But before I get to that, I always like to give a little synopsis of what 62 Who Knew truly is, why it has gained popularity uh, in the last 92 weeks. And uh, we always have X amount of thousands, hundreds or maybe thousands of new guests every week. So I'd like to give you just a little synopsis of what this show is all about. So as you approach 62, pretty much everyone from myself who was 62 uh, almost nine months ago at this point, uh, to my father, to his father, your father, their fathers, everybody pretty much has the same thoughts as they approach 62. You might have them in your mid-50s, your early 60s, but we all have the same thoughts. Have I saved enough money? Do I need life insurance? Should I continue my present life insurance? Should I have bought long-term care insurance by now? Wasn't I planning to have my house paid off? Should I take Social Security at 62? Or should I keep working and defer to later in my life? The questions are endless, and they're always the same. They've been the same for generations, except for my generation. The generation that has been turning 62 years old for the last several years, and the generation that will be having 10,000 people a day continue to turn 62 years old in the United States of America for the next 12 to 15 years. Our generation has a different question. Our generation, to put it another way, has a different hurdle to to jump over. And what is that hurdle? Longer lifespans. There is no doubt that in the last 30 years, the last three to four decades, modern science technologies, medical breakthroughs, have happened at such a rapid rate, whereas my father and grandfather planned on living till their 70s, today's retiree very well can plan on living into their 90s. In fact, according to the AMA, the American Medical Association, if you live to be 62 in this country and you're a married couple, you have better than a 50-50 chance of one of you making it into their 90s. So who knew at 62 that you still had 30 more years to go? That's half the time you've been here. And in this great country that we live in, less than 1% of the population can retire in their early 60s, go another three decades in a lifestyle of quality that allows them to live with dignity and the way they want to live, quite frankly, without giving up anything 
after so many years of work during their retirement years. There is no doubt that longer lifespans is a great thing, but it's also a double-edged sword. And that's what 62 Who Knew is about. Every week we bring on a different specialist, uh, the finest long-term care insurance people in the country, professionals that speak throughout the country and educate throughout the country, reverse mortgage specialists, annuity specialists, Medicare and Medicaid specialists. And again, all the list goes on and on. And obviously uh, the public has taken to it uh, because we have built uh, in this uh, independent station of WeBeam TV, a uh, little shameless plug, owned and operated by Mr. John Gaston. If you are interested in having your own TV show, you got to call WeBeam TV. It's a great platform. For me, it's grown to almost, se- well, to over 70,000 viewers per week. But that's what 62 Who Knew is about. And for all of you that have been watching, thank you so much again. For those of you that are just watching for the first time, now you know what you're here to see. So let's go to our guests without further ado. Um, one of them was running late, and I can see is still not there, um, but that's okay. On the left, from on your screen, or my left, um, you can see one of the 62 Who Knew family has become a regular panelist, um, Mr. Peter Gelbwax. Uh, thank you for being here, Peter. Seems like you've hey, been my on- pleasure, Mike. You've been here. So while- trying to let him let Mark in. Uh, well, maybe we don't want to let Mark in. No, no, we really want to let Mark in, but he's having some uh, technology issues. Um, and, you know, that early dementia isn't working well for Mark, but that's for another show altogether. Let's not discuss that now. Um, let's discuss tonight's guest, because uh, not only is tonight's guest very well accomplished, uh, I have to say in the 92 weeks that we've been doing this, this is our first quite frankly, real politician, a man that uh, served eight years in the House of Representatives representing his district in Florida. Um, and I'm going to enjoy this on many, many levels, um, uh, you know, also in the insurance world and for to help. Uh, I'm going to give a little bio here and uh, just an absolute great guest. It's um, 62 who knew at its best. You've heard me say that before. And let me think just for a second. How did I meet this man? Um, Let me think. Uh, Oh, yeah. He was introduced to me by Peter Gelbox. For those of you that don't watch the show a lot, I would actually only know my children and grandchildren. That would be the only people I know in the United States of America if it wasn't for Peter Gelbox. It's really staggering. I mean, when the paper guy throws the paper on my lawn, he goes, didn't Peter and I, didn't Peter introduce you to me? I go, yeah, I think so. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Mr. Richard. He prefers to be called Rick Stark. And let me tell you a little bit about this man. This is a fraction of his bio. Uh, Rick has been a longtime small businessman and community leader in South Florida. Rick made the transition from community activist to candidate for state representative so he could move this state in the right direction by restoring adequate funding for public education, providing affordable, quality health care to Floridians, bringing jobs to our state, and fighting for the values that have made America great. 
although he probably wants to change that particular part of it because this was written several years ago, I think. So I'm not sure he was part of making America great in the way that we're used to it, in the bad way. He was, he was part of it in the good way. Let me be clear on that. In 2012, Rick was elected to the Florida House of Representatives for District 104, which includes western parts of Pembroke Pines, Southwest, Southwest Ranches, and Davie. He has served on several committees on education, appropriations, military and veterans, highway and waterway safety, and the Affordable Care Act. And it goes on and on, but um, our hour goes so quickly, as our viewers and our guests know, that um, I want to bring him on right now. So, Mr. Stock, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my campaign T-shirts were red at one time also. So uh, <laughs> oh, aside no. from the uh, Make America Great, uh, uh, who knew that uh, that was going to uh, change, uh, that somewhere in, the, in my eight years in the House of Representatives, uh, uh, symbols were going to change a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Peter was actually one of my uh, original supporters. Uh, we had talked for many, many years about uh, insurance agents who are the closest to the public you know, when it comes to insurance items, yeah. which includes, you know, long-term care and, you know, Medicare and financial planning and all those things, certainly closer than the insurance companies, certainly closer than the politicians. So we uh, lobbied Tallahassee and Washington for many years about things were very important. I mean, we had, and I worked with Peter on legislation going back, you know, 20 years ago where we got the, uh, you know, we changed how long-term care insurance works now did we think that we we that the market was going to be so completely different now than it was back then probably not i and you mentioned it before about the ages of people i mean my i know you mentioned it in the trailer for the show my dad uh if he made it to march was going to be 101 years old and who God would have bless. thought that we were going to have so many people yeah their 80s and their 90s and uh, so uh, Peter I do want to thank you for uh, for bit really for helping me uh, early on to uh, to get elected and I really did quite a lot we talked about the bills I worked on but uh, actually I worked on insurance bills while I was in the legislature as well uh, got a few passed on there and uh, that was very important for our industry to work on legislation because I, I can't go by Democrat and Republican. We really never know what the political sides are going to do uh, to uh, to something, to an issue we think is very, very important. We've got to speak to both sides, and it's important to get everybody, you know, included to do the right thing when it comes to insurance. And, of course, you're going to see this year, because I just got my homeowner's bill, it went up from uh, – well, it went up over 50 percent. Oh so God. I can tell some of you out there just, just being on the lookout yes. for your renewal of your homeowners. And it's going to be in the news a lot. It's already been in the news uh, quite a bit. Now, I'm going to stop talking. I don't want to be talking here on nonstop for 30 minutes. I'd rather you ask me questions or ask stuff that I've worked on and uh, how it uh, affects insurance or whatever other topics well, uh, we spoke about earlier. With your incredible background, we have a lot of great 
great things to ask you. Um, uh, one thing that's interesting, I, I Googled it while you were speaking. I think you got somewhere around a couple of hundred thousand votes when you went to the state representative. And was, I read in Google that actually Peter introduced you to each one of those couple of hundred thousand. Well, I, so uh, it was if, any, if, if anybody can do it. Uh, Peter would be the one to do I, it. I thought that was amazing. And it was in Google. And you know, the Google <clears throat> knows all. And now joining us late because his private jet just got in. Mr. Mark Goldberg, one of our favorite panelists, part, part of the 62 Who Knew family from show one. My first guest. We just love this having this man here on a personal and professional it's, level. Thank you. It is my honor and pleasure, Mike, but you didn't tell me you were setting me up with all these ringers. I know. You've well, got I know. The, the Tom Brady of long-term care pass and Peter Gelbach. Mm -hmm. You've got... The Tom Brady of representatives for the House here in Florida, mm -hmm. and Mr. Stark, and you got the Tom Brady of of um, reverse mortgages in yourself. What am I, the water boy? No, you're the man. You're the man that uh, keeps it all together. I don't know. You're I feel man. like this is a setup. I'm. A, I'm I've been put. That's okay. <laughs> I think okay. I can take the heat. He says it's okay. So, I'm Peter Lombardi, but he's gone. So that's right. Yeah. Well, he but he made an appearance several times last night. Did I know. you see that? Well, that, that was, was good. cool. Was that hologram just like him? That wasn't that yeah. cool. That, I thought that was Peter. Cool. You, you supported Mr. Stark to get elected. You helped him in his election campaign. Oh yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. yeah, we covered let's that. Talk yeah, about, so many. Let's talk serious before okay, before serious. we run out of time. Yes. Mike. Why don't that's you what I'm going to do is ask the question seriously because okay. of what you did. Okay. So go ahead. You ask the first, and then I want to ask a serious question to Mr. Stark. Oh, good. I always ask the same question when someone's here for the first time, no matter what, um, and that is. As an insurance person, you know, career a career person, what made you go from an active community person, you know, to a community, you know, a real community activist from a businessman to running for the state, you know, for the House of State Representatives? What was your emotion? What was involved to get you to go from very successful businessman, you know, obviously into a, a public life in in politics that had to take time? away from your successful business. What was your emotion? What was your what your motivation to do that? You know, you could always figure there's there's certain things that, that reasons that people run. I mean, me, I knew that I wanted to run for public office when I was uh, in, in sixth grade. But I, th I think the thing that really propelled me uh, was that going into the insurance business uh, after 1990, I, I, I got licensed in 1990. They were just, we're, we're a very regulated business. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have anybody that I felt did what we do, you know, what Peter does, what I do, which is more on the life side, you know, health insurance, long-term care, things like that, uh, that actually represented us in the Florida legislature. You know, there were things that weren't being heard. There's always bad legislation coming out. I mean, some of the things that I worked on, I mean, my first year there, I worked on something regarding you know, uh, life insurance and that uh, life insurance should never turn you down uh, because you have a genetic disposition to do something. I got shot down in two seconds. They didn't want to hear the bill. Somebody else ran that bill this year and it passed. Oh, so that means that if uh, the insurance company discovers something in your medical record, which was from uh, a genetic disposition, you know, you don't have any symptoms or nothing going on with that now. They can't turn you down for that. Mm -hmm. That's great. And 
And it, the insurance companies weren't particularly crazy about it. But, it, it you know, I, I said, you know, back then I said, well, why turn them down? I mean, if you really want to rate the policy up so they don't want to buy it, you can do it. But, I mean, for God's sakes, don't turn somebody down because you think they might get That's something right. because you saw something on Ancestry.com. Yeah. But the short reason is also is that so many people, you get what we call the bug. You just feel that you can make things better. Now, there is one other thing, too, though. Something tragic that happens to somebody. Look at uh, the folks from uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Mm-hmm. Marie Alhadoff that lost a daughter ran for the school board. Uh, Debbie Hickson, who lost her husband, yes. uh, she, she ran and was elected also uh, to the school board. You know, and you know, I think you're going to see you know some more of that. Uh, you know, and that's not the first time. You know, we've seen that. Mm-hmm. You know, people, something tragic happens, and they said, "I've got to, something's not getting done, and I'm going to go and do it." Right. Well, for me, I always thought I could make a difference, but also insurance really propelled me. You know, certainly wanting to do the right thing for our industry that sometimes doesn't get the right thing done to. Absolutely. And Mark, before we go to you to ask your question, I know that uh, that you, Rick, have recently. Uh, suffered a great loss. You lost your dad just a couple of months before his 101st birthday, which is just staggering. God bless him. And we're so, so sorry for your loss. Well, you know, uh, did you lose him to COVID, Rick, or something else? Yeah, yeah. You know, I haven't really been uh, public about it, but uh, uh, both of my parents got sick at the same time. And my dad lived through... uh, World War II, he lived through uh, invasions. He really had quite a life, lived through, uh, had his bar mitzvah during the Depression. So mm-hmm. what, what can I tell you? He yeah. really, you know, America's uh, greatest generation. Uh, but uh, he was declining rapidly at the end. I don't know how much longer he would have lived. But the coronavirus, he didn't last a week. My mother... Mm-hmm got this at the same time. They were both living at home, really didn't go out. He he couldn't even go out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, she was in the hospital and uh, skilled nursing for over three weeks. She's now going on her third week at home recuperating. Never banned enough to have a respirator. They don't keep you in a hospital. I certainly learned a lot of things about what kind of hospital treatment you get, you know, if you go into the emergency room thinking you have COVID. And I can tell you, if it ain't severe enough, in almost all cases, they kick you out. Mm-hmm. I was lucky to get her into skilled nursing facility. My dad, I, he was, you know, he was in hospice. At, well, no, I take that back. I had to send him to hospice, you know, once he was diagnosed mm-hmm. and uh, didn't last too long. I uh, did, you know, and right now I got to worry about care for my mom. Of course. I know I heard in your, in, uh, your pre-thing about, um, you know, about long-term care. Thank God they both had it. Uh, I don't know that I had enough for them, but uh, they they both have it. Now my mom is having to use hers. 93, and she's using hers for the very first time. Fantastic. Uh, So uh, uh, that's all I can tell you right now, but it was something. And it's I can't just tell you how tragic it is and uh, what it's like to be a, a child that has to make these kind of decisions for your parents, basically life and death decisions and uh, where to get them care and all sorts. I mean, I had to scramble fast. Mm -hmm. uh, I had just come off a political campaign, eight years in the Florida legislature, and uh, 
you know, and, uh, and, and then this is what's going on right around uh, New Year's. Right. Well, we certainly wish you our, our deepest condolences uh, on your loss, and, and hopefully in seven years when this show is called 69 and I'm still feeling fine, uh, we'll be celebrating your mother. I just made that up. That was pretty good. Uh, we'll yeah, be Peter, ce- Peter and I will take 69. Yes, take yes. 62 again. Yeah, um, right. but hopefully we'll be celebrating. We'll, you'll, you'll be on the show, and we'll be saying happy birthday to mom on her 100th birthday. Okay. All right. Mark, you said you had a question for Rick. Yeah, I did. But Peter said he had one first. So I don't want to okay. get Peter's way there. A- age before beauty. No. Okay. Uh, no. Okay. Mark, you're first. All right. Um, Rick, um, among other things, I am a co founder of what was the Got Milk campaign for long term care, which was called the Three and Four Need More campaign. And I spent also, thanks to uh, Mr. Gelbach's support. So we have that in common. He was a very big advocate of helping us launch that campaign. Um, I spent a considerable amount of time in D.C. trying to push the awareness of the, of the problems, you know, because of the, the ever-increasing demand for long-term care. And I found I was living in a through-the-looking-glass kind of world. Everybody was only concerned with things that would either impact their in the next two years, the next four years, or the next six years. It had no interest in anything else. And so even though we could prove that giving incentives for people buying long-term care would save the states and the federal government considerable money over the long term, in the short term, it would be perceived as a tax increase. And they were, they just couldn't live with that fact. Are you, do you find that same thing true on the state level? Yeah, I, I think it's true in in, uh, in in most politics. I mean, politicians are gonna look by, well, for, well number one, uh, they, they're gonna certainly look at uh, what affects you know them in their particular district. Now, don't forget that all politics is local. Uh, very often, uh, politicians want to see an issue that's going to get them uh, some attention. I mean, look, there, you know, as much as we're beating up on politicians, uh, of, of which I've been one, um, you know, you know uh, there are plenty of us that still will do the things we, we, we still want to do what we think is best for everybody. And we, we still look for a uh, thing, you know, we're not uh, necessarily, you know, we're not you know, bomb throwers, so to speak. Uh, I shouldn't say that after the uh, after the insurrection, but you know, a bomb thrower you're usually in the legislature means that they're basically out there debating all the time, yelling and screaming when they're in the uh, in the legislature hearing bills, as opposed to just trying to work to get things done. And there are plenty of politicians that way, but people are always looking at, you know, what's immediate. I, I mean, look the. The, the, the United States has always been like that. We have a tendency to not generally look long-term enough. We're always looking too short-term. It's been a problem. I don't think it's going to change. But I, I, mean, I can tell you right now with what's going on with my parents and from understanding the business that long-term care is certainly an issue. Most people don't have long-term care insurance. They rely on, Medi- well, that rely on Medicaid uh, too often a time. And uh, I, I know that the, we, we've tried to get the 
U.S. Congress to come around and do more things, you know, uh, publicly to get more people covered, certainly to get the masses covered. Uh, but until it absolutely reaches an absolute crisis that becomes untenable, it's probably not going to happen. And I'm just, you know, I hate to tell you that, but that's just the way it is. But I ask the question because it becomes obvious to me that the federal government is basically throwing it back to the states to do something individually. So you're in Florida, and Florida can do something for Florida residents. Oregon and Washington states did something this last year. Washington state in particular passed a half a percent um, payroll tax to pay for uh, $100,000 of long-term care for every citizen in the state. And that's, so now they get that, not that it's adequate enough, but that at least it's something it's a for them to uh, have. What's, I mean, how do, we, how do we get the states to do something to amp up the reason for why individuals need to take responsibility for this? Well, first of all, I think you got a better, I'm not telling you it's gonna happen, but you certainly have a better chance with the uh, with with the new administration in Washington than you did in the in the uh, in, during the uh, previous uh, White House occupant because and and I'm not here to bash Donald Trump but but the way he operated basically was was throw everything to the states and uh, you know Biden has more of a thing where I think that there will be you know a consensus to do things on a national basis but you also got to take a look at insurance. And generally, insurance has been run by, you know, the individual 50 states. Uh, so uh, that is, you know, probably generally why you're going to see, you know, uh, generally in the federal government, well, let, let's see the states do it. I don't know that I see, I mean, this was never on the radar, you know, in the eight years that I was in the legislature. And, you know, you want to get more stuff done on long-term care insurance. You really have to get a group of people you know, to go and lobby for it. I mean, people have to, I mean, Peter did it, I did it before I got elected. We used to go up to Tallahassee, sometimes to Washington, and we would go around and see our elected officials and, uh, you know, tell them that this was a particular issue and that uh, it, it was important and this is how to do it needed, you know, needed to get done. I mean, some things did happen on the state level. I mean, it's so long ago, it'd be hard for me to find, to remember, but I, I, I do remember that, uh, when we were working on the bills that eventually uh, made uh, long-term care insurance uh, have, uh, you know, a, you know, tax breaks, which you know, a partnership plan. If you remember that, I don't know if you remember the partnership plan. That if you very well, uh, it's a great did, source. Right. Well, I, I did quite a lot of work on that. You know, with our other legislators. You know, going year after, you know, took us several years going to. Uh, you know, Florida legislatures and, and talking to them and telling them why it was important and eventually did happen. And I know that there was some push to do it on a, a national basis, but uh, generally when it comes to insurance, it most times gets thrown back to the states. And insurance companies generally have wanted it that way anyway. Uh, you know, they wanted the states to do it all independently. So, uh, you know, so, but like I said before, the uh, the Biden administration has been, I mean, you see it with the coronavirus, has been looking to have more national cohesion to get that done. So that mindset might allow within the four years something on long-term care also. Peter, were, were you involved when, uh, I know that there was a push to try to get uh, long-term care 
where you could see more of it, where we would have a, and maybe that you were talking about payroll deductions nationally, that you could do a payroll deduction that people would have uh, long-term care, like you have social security or Medicare and Med, you know, and Medicare. I mean, they may have to look at that for some. Yeah, very much, very much so uh, through my national alliance, the, the uh, national LTC network, we certainly worked on that diligently, but it, it, like you both say, this is a long haul. This is a tough, tough job to get anything, particularly during a period of time where there's so much infighting about where we are going to spend whatever money we get and the urgency for, you know, the need for today's dollars, Mark, you, you, you refer to, you know, long range planning. It's interesting because just today, within an hour of this uh, show, I got a call from an old friend uh, uh, of 40 years. Um, who lost her husband about seven years ago, and she was talking to me about whether or not she'd be eligible for long-term care insurance at 75, having uh, experiencing now her second bout of cancer. And the the fact that we are still here this many decades later, educating even people that are close to me, she admitted that I talked to her about it literally in 1983, and then in 1993 and 2003, and here we are, you know, all these years later, and now it's too late for her. Um, so, you know, that's that's a big level of frustration. The other two things I just want to mention, as long as I have the uh, the mic for the moment, is uh, Rick. Uh, you and I have uh, more in common than we even realize. I think uh, n number one, we both uh, just this past year lost uh, a, a loved one to COVID. Um, I also have not been particularly uh, public about it, but my brother Bob, who was 74, only died last March. Uh, in, in the hospital for a week. And, uh, you know, a rude awakening for those of you that are watching us today. This stuff, bad stuff does happen to good people, yes. and it, and it can happen to you. So continue to be diligent and continue to be uh, careful whether you've had a shot or not. And the other thing before uh, the end of the show, hopefully, Rick, you'll get to talk a little bit about adoption because, as you, you may very well know, you know, our younger daughter was adopted at birth. And we did uh, get to meet her birth parents uh, four years ago. So I don't want to take any more time, but I just thought I'd mention those three items. Oh, we're definitely we're uh, definitely going to discuss that. Um, yeah. You know, again, as the only non-insurance person on the show, certainly the only non-long-term care insurance national expert on the show, it just staggers me. Uh, I would have to guess that if, in fact, there was a tax break or some motivation to purchase long-term care insurance that it wouldn't save the government millions of dollars or tens of millions it's got to be hundreds of millions or billions it would save medicaid so even with their two and four and six year outlook like you're saying mark because they're just looking to the next election how do i get elected i mean i hate to say that because uh, there are some great politicians out there. They're few and far between on both sides of the aisle, quite frank. But there are great ones out there. I just don't see how any of them don't stand up and go, wait a minute. We can save Medicare. We can save Medicaid. And when we talk about lobbying, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't the largest insurance companies in this country have some unbelievable lobbying power? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So why aren't they? I mean... I, I, I don't even know which one of you I'm asking this question to. Maybe all three. Why isn't, um, and I'm not picking on people, a Genworth or a MetLife um, going, using their power to go, guys, 
we got to sell more long-term care insurance, and here's a few ways we can do it and save, you know, and save Medicare and Medicaid. Why aren't the carriers doing it? At one time they did, Mike, to be oh. honest. Oh, I At one time they did. John Hancock, Jen Worth, uh, G Capital had ombudsmans in, in, um, in Washington who lobbied for the long-term care causes. Frankly, it just was never as um, important a product as, let's say, life insurance or some of the others that, that warranted more time. But they did have people that did it. Again, it would constantly run up against the fact that that uh, when you looked at it, the savings was much further out. The single most expensive thing, and Rick can correct this, but I'm pretty sure this is factual. The single most expensive thing in any state budget is the cost of Medicaid. And the single most expensive thing within Medicaid is the monies they lay out for long-term care. Mm -hmm. So obviously resolving the, the, the situation, like you say, would be a tremendous um, long range uh, grasp of the problem. And it's only going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, it has to. So, yeah. again, uh, there's two things. There's two I, things. One, to my one, Mr. Gelbart, so most, of, most of the major carriers have withdrawn from the market, so it's, it's really too late for them to be counted upon. Uh, they just lost their shirts. Uh, I know no one wants to feel bad for insurance carriers, but you know, they, they had a lot of poor uh, planning. Uh, their their um, actuaries, underwriters made a lot of mistakes, and then that combined with this sustained low interest rate environment created the perfect storm. So uh, depending on the carrier uh, to get anything done at this point is, is not going to happen um, on a go-forward basis uh, with so few major carriers uh, left, um, you know, there, there were attempts. I guess the partnership plans were the 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 best thing that took place uh, you know that did happen on a, on a state by state basis um but um this is uh, also a tightrope that they're walking from a carrier perspective because you know they don't want to just do away with the need for for private long-term care insurance and nor do they believe that a governmental run program for for all of uh, of long-term care needs would would make sense or or would be affordable um but um it's it's not it's not an issue that uh, we can depend on at this point, and I think uh, the the fact that there are, there is product in the in the marketplace available that people should be researching because it does it has changed dramatically. Mark certainly can talk to this issue because he's involved in it on a day by day basis. But we're not here today, I don't think, to right. get down and dirty about you know uh, the specifics of long term care insurance. I'd rather hear about more topics with Rick. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, no doubt. Um, so before um, we go to talk about this next topic, um, you know, I say this light. I thought it was I, was, I thought I was going to say it lightly, but I sort of sort of mean it. You know, thanks to you guys, of course, you know, I'm very familiar with the three and four endeavor and, and how powerful that was. Um, might be time for a 62 who knew endeavor. Maybe it's time to go back to Washington and say, what the hell is happening here? I mean, especially based on what we've seen in COVID-19. And, and, and I know I'm just preaching to the choir, but to our audience. Oh, no, I just have, I hope you have enough meds to, to manage the 
anxiety and frustration that will come from that. Yeah, effort, I know. Having been there and tried it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a rough one. Well, I know who I want to be the next president, and she and we've never discussed this, and we might not discuss it now. But I'm hoping that uh, somebody that's going to be president in the next four to eight years. I know this is an important topic to her. Notice I'm saying her, um, and I'm really hoping she's going to be president in the next four to eight years. Um, but uh, well, that's for another show. You are doing something very, very interesting and, and very, very close to home uh, to a lot of people, including Peter. As he said, his, uh, his younger daughter, Marjorie, was adopted. Um, I think she's Wonder Woman, so I thought her father was you know, half God because I thought it was Zeus, to be honest with you. But I guess she found out she actually had an earthling for a father, so I was a little amazed at that. Um, but you're trying to do something very special. Uh, because I know you were adopted yourself. Please expand on that for us. Well, I was adopted uh, when I was three months old. And uh, I always knew. I mean, I, I really credit my uh, adoptive parents. They uh, never held back on it. They always, uh, you know, they, they told me from day one. I, and meanwhile, I did have somebody I went to high school with. Uh, she didn't find out she was adopted until she was in her 30s. Uh, which is not the right way to do things. That's devastating for an adult yes. uh, to find out that uh, things were not as you thought that they were. Uh, but most adoptees that I know have a certain curiosity. Where did I come from? Is it real that I really, I mean, mm -hmm. they tell you when you're, you're, when you're young that you were adopted, but sometimes you almost don't believe it until you really find out. But most of us want to know about our genetic history. Some people just will never take the opportunity to do it. Some people will be too frightened to do it. Uh, but uh, I just always wanted to know, uh, you know, at least certainly when I got older, where I came from. And uh, later on, I, I, I've actually found that there was a whole group of, because I didn't know it to begin with, whole group of people that were doing searches. There were organizations that did this. And also, uh, after two terms in the state house, I actually was at a, a national conference of uh, legislators and at that time found out that uh, there was legislation going on by adoptees who were state legislators in other states, some of whom have actually gotten stuff passed. Uh, and so I became very interested in that and worked on that. The, but the last four years I was in the state house, I uh, did get a, a bill passed last year, which was the first time uh, the uh, state has done a bill in favor of adoptees as opposed to not in favor of adoptees uh, in uh, probably uh, 30 years or more. Uh, and I do have a bill again this year, even though I'm not elected, I do have a member of the Florida House and of the Florida Senate who are going to advance that bill for me. And uh, I hope I, I'm not getting uh, really off topic, no, but you're not. Uh, I, I mean, basically, let, let's look at it this way, okay? Uh, I was able to find out where I came from, uh, and really where I came from, I, I have had, I have met my birth parents. I do have a set of brothers uh, from the same uh, union of my uh, my my birth parents. They they later married after I was uh, adopted and had more children. Uh, and my adoptive parents have actually uh, met. My uh, some members of my birth family, so it, it's it's kind of a very interesting thing. Absolutely, it was very interesting actually doing the search, which happened before DNA testing and before the advent of the internet. 
but very often, and you know, we see this in so many different kind of things with legislation and the way legislatures work, uh, the reality of where um, technology is and where adoption is and searches today is a lot different than sometimes the perception of those people in the legislature. Uh, you know, people like me, I'd like a copy of my very original birth certificate uh, that comes from, um, you know, before I was adopted. Those birth certificates are almost in all cases changed uh, to have your adoptive uh, parents' names on there. Uh, you know, so certain, certain things are changed on the birth certificate. And so there's a term called OBC, original birth certificate. And there's been a movement nationwide for many, many years for adoptees to be able to get a, that what we call our simple piece of paper, which doesn't seem like a big deal to most people, but it's a big deal to people like me who would actually like to see what it looks like, mm -hmm. even though I know who my, my birth family is. And uh, legislatures are just very slow to getting around with it. They've got many, many excuses. There are very strong lobbying groups who are not interested in adoptees uh, being able to get that information. And it's, it's really kind of interesting in the day where, you know, through DNA, there's a, such a good chance that you're going to find out who the people are on your original birth family and all roads are going to somehow lead to Rome, in this case, to your original birth family, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, amazes me that a legislature, for example, Florida, or many of the other ones, California, Texas, uh, have no interest in this. They come up with all sorts of uh, uh, things uh, I've, I've heard. Uh, you're going to like this one. If, if the law changes, more birth mothers are going to have abortions. And they're going to have abortions because they're going to know that those adoptees are going to come looking for them. And to which I have to always explain, no, we just want that piece of paper. In some cases, they may or may not looking for yeah. looking for birth parents. Uh, they just may want that piece of paper, or they may want his genetic history because they need to know medical conditions, uh, and they don't necessarily need that to find the original their original family. Exactly. But these are the myths that still are there. Also, just my last thing, and I'll say this, you know, so let you ask some questions. But in in the state of Florida, uh, the uh, adoption lobby, when I say that, I mean the adoption lawyers in most cases are adamantly opposed to this. I, I can't tell you exactly why, uh, because they certainly I don't feel that they're going to lose being able to uh, have children adopted just because some children are uh, looking for that, that, you know, their original birth parents mm -hmm. or for their birth certificate only or for medical information. Uh, but very often they feel that way. And I had to spend, and I enjoy doing it, but uh, four years educating members of the legislature to where I was able to actually get something passed last year. But now we're looking to get, uh, you know, a stronger bill passed this year. Congratulations. Well, yeah, you know, again, when you get back to scientific <clears throat> and medical breakthroughs of these last few decades, um, being able to find out your birth parents um, and know if there's any precursors, whether it be diabetes or heart disease or cancer. Or, it's not just emotion. It's, uh, it's science as well. Um, again, it staggers me that, that anybody wouldn't. I mean, I sort of understand. I don't, I don't agree that more people get abortions. I'm sorry. I don't agree with that. Uh, and I'm sure maybe there might be a case here and there. Um, but with today's technology, you know, you send in some of your, you know, 
they're just too easy to find now. Why they would want to deny uh, someone that piece of paper uh, to give them their mental and emotional satisfaction is, uh, is, is staggering to me. I don't know, Peter, if you want to share anything with what Marjorie went through or if, if she doesn't want you to or what you feel about that. Um, I'd be happy to uh, just take a couple of minutes. So we, we were blessed to be able to adopt Marjorie right uh, from the hospital when she was only three days old. So, um, and like with Rick's uh, folks, um, we shared the fact that Marjorie was adopted uh, from, from the earliest days that she could understand and comprehend that. Uh, it's been a, an amazing experience to have both Julie and Marjorie, um, you know, um, and be able to, to interact with the two of them uh, the same and yet be treated, you know, treating them as individuals that they are. Marjorie was uh, always convinced until she was probably a young adult that um, somehow we were so bonded and so connected in so many ways that she she came to me one day. I know this is going to sound funny, but she said, Dad, I can handle it. I assume that you had a, an affair with a beautiful Hawaiian girl because Marjorie has Hawaiian heritage. And, um, um, you know, but I know that you're my birth father, which wasn't the case at all. But. Uh, in any case, uh, four years ago, uh, through uh, Ancestry.com, we were able to connect with Marjorie's birth mother, um, and uh, she has a uh, birth sister and, and brother, and it became very much a blended family. And in fact, her, her birth sister wrote a book recently um, and um, included us in the book and showed pictures of, uh, of us, and uh, the story is in included in that in that uh, in that book so uh from our standpoint our, our lives were just enriched they were enhanced they were um uh, certainly it was important to uh, marjorie uh to, to do the same thing that rick was searching for some answers uh from a genetic standpoint but but also just you know that basic question not that she was unhappy not that she was depressed not that she uh at conflict, but just uh, the unknown answers that she now has and made her feel and made us all feel um, somewhat better. Yes, there are adjustments that have to be made. Yes, there are certain kinds of things that you didn't expect that might happen uh, in terms of the new sharing of this beautiful person and, and her children, of course, and, but um, certainly a lot more pluses and minuses. On the other side of the coin, I do, I do respect the fact that there are delicate privacy issues that yes. people are dealing with uh, that might not feel comfortable, uh, and that is why it's kind of a hard uh, job for Rick uh, to get accomplish what he wants to. I think that is one legitimate reason. You know, the, re the respect for privacy today is probably greater than it's ever been, and um, so that that is a delicate balancing act. But from a standpoint of um, uh, of going through the experience, certainly I'm not the only one in my family, or Marjorie is not the only. My brother was able to also adopt a baby, and so was my sister-in-law, Sharon's sister. So we, we have multiple people and uh, and others within our family uh, without going into more detail. But uh, so we're finding out, the one thing we did find out, and I don't know if this is true for you, Rick, but once it was announced and once we started sharing this and making it public years and years ago, we found that there were a lot more adopted people out there than we realized. Yeah. So this is yeah. not just some 
small segment of the population. I don't know if that's been your experience, Rick, but we had a lot of people coming forward saying, well, they were adopted or they adopted someone. Mike? Yeah, I mean, no, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, they're, they're you know, you, you just never know. I mean, we've had, uh, while I was in Tallahassee, we had several members of the legislature who were adoptees. And, uh, you know, they, you know, they certainly, uh, some of them helped, uh, you know, with the uh, legislation, but uh, most people in the public and including our legislatures really do not necessarily understand uh, the topic of adoption, really what it's all about. Uh, you know, there's, there are certain, you know, myths about adoption. Uh, you know, certainly we, we talk about privacy, but the reality is uh, that, you, you know, if you get somebody that wants to do a search, I mean, you, you, you can't guarantee any, you know, privacy. Somebody's going to look, they're going to look. Uh, so that was my... Now, now today in particular. Yeah, right. yeah but, sure. but that's my contention with the state is, is why do you need to hire, you to hide the birth certificate, you know, the original one. You know, you know people want to find you, they're going to find you anyway, with or without that birth certificate, certainly now. Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. there's, no, hi there's right. no hiding now. Um, yeah. And just as I think, Mark, did you have a question? I just have a side note. I thought you were going to say no, something. Go, go ahead with your side note. Yeah, just a quick side I'm note. Ready. There's no doubt, Peter, um, you've been honored by a lot of people. You've been mentioned by a lot of people. You've been complimented by a lot of people. You were man of the year years ago uh, to that beautiful ceremony uh, where everybody spoke and Marjorie and uh, Oh, my God. Where everybody Julie. was in tears. No, I, I knew Julie's saying we were just all in tears. But I have to say, and I think you'll agree, when Marjorie said, you have to be my birth father, probably one of the biggest compliments a human being could get. I was. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> positively. Go ahead, Mark. I'm and sorry. Michael, yes. Michael, that's my comment. Yeah. Now that we know that he had an affair with a Hawaiian woman, yes. we, yeah. should, we, we, we should use that to move ourselves up on the list because both of us were on the short list to be adopted by Peter. You're already on my short list. I don't know that. That's right. Well, the fact that he walked around the house a lot in a Hawaiian shirt singing Tiny Bubbles, that didn't yeah. help a lot. Yeah, no. And none of the young, one on today, I want you to know. Yeah, and none of the young people. Look, it's, it's a wonderful thing you both did by adopting it. You know, that yes. they say that it's one thing. There's no greater blessing than to have a child, but when you choose a child, that's right. like you two did, that's an even higher Absolutely. honor and compliment. That so. love, that love is a staggering love because it's a, you know, we all have relatives that we'd rather not have. I'll just say it. I love them all, but you know, there's a lot of my relatives I just don't like. Um, but I love them truly. Um, but when you uh, have something like that, like you're talking about, where you choose to love them, and that love actually never goes away. It just keeps getting stronger. That is a staggering bond. Just hey, Mike, I know it's your show, but I'd love to see. I'm, I'm looking at the clock, and I'd, I'd love to hear uh, Rick talk about this coming year and what he, what he's yes. seeing and maybe some potential and also some dangers that uh, even though he's not active, he's still involved. So I'd love to hear. That, you know, we've got only five minutes left. So yeah, go. There about. Well, I mean, uh, I never gave up my business, so I am still actively uh, marketing insurance. Uh, of course, with uh, uh, Transamerica pulling out of the market, uh, we certainly don't have too many more uh, uh, individual carriers in the uh, standalone market. But, uh, you know, there are still opportunities to market, you know, long-term care insurance. 
but there, there will be other things politically. I've, 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 I've been an activist at heart for uh, a very long time. Now, will I run for an office again? I know time will tell. I don't know. In the short run, uh, probably not. Uh, but I am planning in uh, uh, Broward County. When I was in the state house, uh, I ran an organization within the legislature uh, called the uh, uh, Jewish Legislative Caucus. And just like there's a black caucus and an Hispanic caucus, uh, we worked uh, bills and legislation in conjunction with the other with the other groups, uh, uh, you know, on, on on things that were important for uh, Jewish Americans and Jewish Floridians. And uh, so I have been, I will most likely uh, be heading up a, a a Jewish caucus group here in uh, Broward County. Now I am a. Uh, uh, I, I am with the Democratic Party, and I am probably going to do that on the as a Democratic caucus in Broward. And certainly, one of the goals is going to be uh, working with uh, with uh, the Black Caucus, the, the Hispanic Caucus, like I did in uh, Tallahassee. But also, uh, we're very strong on America's relation uh, to the state of Israel, and I'm going to continue to work on that. Uh, but uh, I'm going to continue to work on insurance issues. I've already been asked by current members of the Florida legislature to weigh in uh, on insurance legislation. Uh, I'm, not, I'm certainly gonna be, continue to be an activist uh, for issues regarding adoptees. Uh, Representative uh, Emily Slosberg in the uh, state house and uh, uh, Senator uh, Linda Stewart in the Senate uh, will, be, uh, you will be sponsoring a bill uh, regarding a rollback uh, on uh, you know the law uh, on uh, adoptees not being able to get their original birth certificates. We're going to try to roll back that law as much as we can to uh, where it used to be. There was a time up through the 1970s and 80s where if a uh, adoptee wanted to contact the the uh, Bureau of Vital Statistics and request a copy of their birth certificate, uh, they were actually they were able to get it. And there have been court cases on this. And so I'm going to continue to work on that as well. Uh, but uh, the other thing that's going to be very, very important for me, uh, my uh, mother, who uh, you know, who has who is not well, uh, she is getting better. Uh, but it's going to be uh, very important for me in the short run uh, to be making sure that uh, you know she's taken care of properly, uh, gets better, and. Uh, you know, that, that's going to be something that I'm going to have to, in the short run, work on. I'm glad that they were able to stay healthy through my eight years. My folks were able to stay healthy in the eight years I was in the legislature. But, you know, now it's time. I mean, they both made it to their 90s and uh, my dad close to 101. So that's going to be an extremely important thing for me to uh, take care of. And don't forget about my regular family that I got to take care of as well. Uh, my wife of over 40 years, uh, Debbie, who has uh, really been uh, terrific. And uh, I haven't talked about her, but uh, she really is uh, terrific herself out in the community. And I've got two great kids uh, that uh, have done very well for themselves. So, you know, a family has always been very important to me. Of course. And That's fantastic. Um, yeah, that is, that is absolutely hey, Mike, fantastic if, um, to hear. Go ahead, if Peter. People, if, if your viewing audience has questions for Rick, uh, um, you suggest that they contact him directly or through the show? Good, 
good lead-in and good reminder to the ignorant host. Thank, Thank you. you very. That, Thank that's you. why I have you every week now, so you can do things like that. Um, we we did put up Rick's website before, but please uh, go to sixty two. Who knew? If you have any comments to make or questions for Rick, you can ask them there. You can email me directly at mbanner at sixty two who knew.com and ask the questions and I will forward them um, to Rick. Uh, it's um, yeah, I, I know I have questions uh, that I'm going to ask and I'm not sure you're aware of this, Rick, you know, because this is your first time on, we just got about a minute and a half, but uh, Mark and Peter and, and another name you're familiar with bill comfort and a few other large uh, associations. Uh, we're in the process of putting something together that is going to be introduced on a national level uh, by the end of the second quarter of this year, which is a massive financing option. I shouldn't say a massing, a massive financing option, a financing option for people 60 years old and above to finance long-term care insurance, yeah. being able to get it out to the masses, to, quite frankly, millions and millions of people who otherwise couldn't afford it. Um, you, know, you know, and I, I'm very excited about that project and that Peter and Mark and, and Bill Comfort are in. And in the remaining uh, 45 seconds, before I say a quick goodbye, when you are working uh, with the Jewish caucus to get things done, could you possibly try and have a bill uh, that forces Chinese restaurants to stay open 24 hours because I think this would be a tremendous help to the Jewish yes, community. Sure. Yes. We'll start and they Florida. must serve mushu pork. That's probably yeah. that's all the Jews want mushu pork. This so idea of closing, isn't it that? But isn't it the more important that they always stay open on Christmas? Well, that, that's Christmas. what we got to have something to do. Yes, they all do for that. 15 seconds left. Thank you to our 62 Who Knew family, which is Peter and Mark. I hope this is the first of many times uh, that we see you, Rick. And when COVID-19 goes by, I look forward to breaking bread with you. Thank you, everybody. Good, good job, show. Rick. Thank you.